Hello, everyone. Welcome to Killer Serials. This is Tony Jones. It's Ryan Parker. We talk theology and TV, and we are wrapping up the first season of The Handmaid's Tale. Such a great episode. Uh, episode 10, season 1, The Handmaid's Tale. Based on the novel by Margaret Atwood, but brought to life on screen. You know what I was wondering, uh, Ryan, I, I looked, I noticed, I haven't looked at every episode, but this is yet another episode directed by a woman. And there's been a lot in the news. There's been several. There's been a lot in the news lately about how few female directors there are in Hollywood. But um, they've gone out of their TV's way. TV's always been a space for women directors. More than movies. More, more than movies. Yeah. And, um, but then you have shows like this and you have shows like The Leftovers. I, I think The Leftovers. But certainly shows like this where there's intention, intentionality behind that. Queen Sugar is another recent uh, series um, that I want to catch well, up on this summer that's heavily directed by women. And let's just put this in context because – you know, who knows? Somebody might be listening to this podcast five years from now when they sit down to binge The Handmaid's Tale. But Probably not, but that's okay. When we're recording this, Wonder Woman is blowing up the like. Wonder Woman is beating Tom Cruise at the box office. No surprise there. Well, yeah. Uh, oh, actually, you're right though. For a lot of people, that would come as a shocker for sure. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see internationally what those numbers look like too. This is the third weekend of Wonder Woman, and it still tops. I mean, it is. Uh, it shows no signs of stopping. I kind of want to go back and see it again. It's turning into the summer blockbuster, and like my wife is planning on taking my daughter and one of the one of her nieces to it, and she's already seen it and absolutely loved it. So um, again, people have talked about maybe because it had a female director, it got. It got Wonder Woman right in a way that, you know, other uh, female superheroes haven't been gotten quite as right. So uh, we have a different kind of superhero in Handmaid's Tale, and that's Alfred. Great segue. And I would say this: her new super, her new superpower is that she's pregnant, so she is untouchable. And there's also the secondary power of just not taking shit from anybody. Yeah. Yeah. She, well, Which her pregnancy affords her. Because what are they going to do? The last time she, they thought she was pregnant, she got, you know, uh, Aunt Lydia tased her. Or the guy who was with Aunt Lydia tased her. Or maybe, I guess it was Aunt Lydia who did it. And then they found out she's pregnant. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Here we've got Mrs. Waterford cracks her upside the head. And then for finding this dress, you know. That was rough. Whew. That was like some million dollar baby. Uh, remember million dollar baby yeah, where she gets sure their did. head hits the stool. Or, listen, so in this episode, there there only like a little a little thing happens in the beginning, and then it just kind of rockets off right for the rest of the hour. Yeah. So Miss Waterford is angry at her because she's been going to the club with Fred. She's found the dress. Mm-hmm. And she is furious. Mm, yes. And that's when she attacks her. And then she assumes. Okay. I mean, there, here's the question. Why does she force the pregnancy test on her? Does she assume that her and Fred have had, quote unquote, illicit sex? Or does she think it's time? Because we don't know how much time has passed between her and Nick sleeping together. Well, this is what's so fascinating. And I think really I, I'm, I continue to be impressed with the writers of this show for how the complex ways in which they weave these narratives together because initially you think she's giving her the pregnancy test 
because she and Fred have continued to be having sex illicitly. But then when she finds out Alfred is pregnant and she goes to confront Fred on it, which, I mean, it's on Fred's ter- She's sitting in Fred's study. And then she confronts Fred and she speaks up to Fred in a way we've never seen before. And she says, this isn't your baby because you're too weak and God would not want to pass on this weakness. So then that's crazy. She's then, but we don't even know. Is she just saying that to, to hurt Fred or is she saying that because she truly believes Nick is the father of this child. We don't know. There's so many unknowns. And I I think that's probably, that's, I feel, it felt like to me in the moment that she was just attacking him because that's where it hurts. Right. It's just fertility. She neither knows nor cares whose child it is. Because in, in, in Gilead, it does not actually, it could have been the physician's child when he was giving the pelvic exam and offered to uh, impregnate Offred. It could be Nick. Yeah, or it could be Fred. We just, there's we something about it, that. Cons- there's something about that conservative environment that get what you want to get, no matter what it takes. You it, know? Yeah, it just doesn't matter whose kid it is, as long as they're having a kid. But then Alfred, I think, because of that, she's able. I mean, there's so much to talk about in this episode. The obviously the stoning. You you can't see a stoning without thinking. What, what are the two? you know, references I'm thinking about. Well, well the first is I'm, I obviously think of the woman called an adultery. And the second is the life of Brian. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then Jehovah! Think, he and said then, Jehovah. <laughs> and then I think of that film that came out um, a few years ago called the stoning of Soraya M that kind of gained some oh, traction yeah. in conservative Christian communities because it was kind of like, oh, look at this barbaric behavior, you know? Yeah. But what's funny is that that's starting to look – those conservative Christian communities are starting to look a lot more like those kind of tribal Islamic communities, right? Yeah. I, I just want to – yeah, I, I think for sure there are more – parallels we talked about this in the past and we talked about it a little bit when i was on with hank a couple episodes back gilead is more like the taliban than it is like colonial puritan christianity although colonial puritan christianity had its i mean elements they're parallels they put people in the stocks publicly they 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 you know sewed the scarlet letter a on hester prynne's cloak but they weren't stoning people, you know, they weren't chopping off people's hands. Um, so they were a little more civilized than the Taliban what? or whatever, or Gilead. But I'll just say this about, um, I, wa- I want to say this about the stoning scene, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. I, it, was, it was a very long scene, and I thought it was absolutely beautifully filmed. I, per- well, you're- I particularly liked... The light, and I, I honestly, Ryan, I mean, I'd be fascinated to find this out. It, I think it actually was snowing. I don't think that was fake snow. I think, it, I think there were flurries, and they film, which meant they had to film it in a pretty quick amount of time because fl- that kind of snow doesn't last long. It's, it's a transitional kind of snow where there are just a few flakes falling. Like, that doesn't take two or three hours. That that either happens on the front end of a big snowfall or just something's quickly passing over. And it was lightly snowing. It was very gray. 
Um, and that's, that's the scene where Aunt Lydia is, you know, on the stage telling the girls to stone one of their compatriots and she herself is fighting back tears. I just thought everything. And then, of course, Alfred won't throw the first stone and walks forward and drops it. Here's another thing we don't know, which is something I love about how they're filming this. We don't know if Aunt Lydia knows that Alfred is pregnant. Yeah, that's a good point. You know what I'm saying about that? Yeah, yeah. I, I, that scene, by the time we got to that scene, I wanted everyone in that town who wasn't a Martha or a handmaiden to die horrific deaths. <laughs> yeah. Throughout the season, which it, it begs questions about what this show is doing to me as a viewer. Yeah, yeah. And maybe we can talk about that later. We could come back to that. Because if a show like that engenders feelings in me like that, should I be watching that show? But when that happened, when they brought off Daniel out, that's when that it, it ratcheted that feeling up even more. And then I, I was thinking to myself the whole time, I want the girls to stone Aunt Lydia. And then when the one woman says she won't do it, you know, they one of the eyes like punches her with the butt of his rifle and drags her away. I mean, it's just the gray the the way the scene is set up the performances i think you're right i think it's one of the more gut-wrenching scenes of the series but then it and i i i thought just similarly beautiful was the closing scene where the girls are all marching down the street and offred's leading the phalanx of of women and they peel they just off, start peel off peel that was off so good houses. Yeah. oh it was beautifully filmed the music was great well and i thought Offred, this was offred showed you know she seemed very strong her i'd say this her, the trajectory through the ten, all 10 episodes is she starts out very weak very scared i mean it's not unlike peggy in mad men honestly that's a good point she's gaining I, strength through she's the gone season. through the fire yeah yeah, she's been tested. I want you're you're anticipating some things that I wanted to talk about, which is I think this finale, and which I think is what you want your pilot and your finale to do, which is kind of encapsulate the whole, um, the strengths of the whole series. Mm-hmm. And this episode, um, more than most, but just like the the pilot, was beautifully shot, yeah. exquisite, yeah. right? Yeah. The scene compositions of the lighting, performances were incredible. Aunt Lydia, you know, I mentioned to you offline that. You know, Aunt Lydia is um, Aunt Lydia, who's played by Aunt Dowd, is being. If you get some of these press releases, they're they're kind of pushing her for an Emmy consideration, mm-hmm. and she does. She's a stellar performance here. We've still not gotten her backstory, but we talked. I think it was maybe two or three episodes ago about how Elizabeth Moss, in our mind, had kind of cemented a nomination um, for her performance in this series, and I think. The scene in which she is taken to and from the mansion where her daughter now lives in this finale, yeah, kind of kind yeah. of locks that award in for her. Yeah, yeah. That was that was also I thought one of the most excruciating scenes of the series. I don't know what you made of that. I mean, I knew that that was one of the least subtle the- uh, scenes. I mean, there 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 are these scenes where you don't quite know what's going on, and I think you're supposed to be in the dark, just like Alfred is, but. I kind of knew from the beginning like that something she was pulling off something like this because she doesn't use Nick as her driver. So she's obviously had to hire a special car that locks 
from the outside and won't let you get out. You're like a cop car, like the back of a cop car, you know. And then um, when when Alfred's daughter comes out, yeah, it didn't surprise me. I knew exactly what she was doing. And I thought, you know, it's a very claustrophobic scene because you're in the back of the car as she's banging on the windows and it's like fogging up the inside of the of the vehicle window trying to scream to get out. What I thought was the best, honestly, was the best part of that whole scene was when Mrs. Waterford gets back in the car and they start driving away and Alfred speaks to Mrs. Waterford in terms and and using language that is so brazenly disrespectful. We've never heard a handmaid talk to anybody. That's just so much pent-up rage, though, isn't she it? She just go comes completely unglued like uses the c word and what kind of a person are you and and mrs waterford doesn't i thought she was going to roll that dividing window glass all the way up again so she couldn't hear offered freaking out but she leaves it down and she does not lose her cool i thought holy man this this woman has ice in her veins like she is wound, mrs waterford is wound so tightly and we know her backstory that she was basically i mean not a feminist but she was like a conservative apologist she would have been on she she would have been someone on fox news you know she's um, and but she, and she gives offered that ultimatum of uh, you take care of my baby and I'll take care of yours. And instead of calming Alfred down, that pushes Alfred over the edge. Like, hey, Tony, have you ever wanted, have you ever watched a series and wished more for an abortion? <laughs> no, I don't want an abortion afterward. I don't want, I don't want Alfred to have an abortion. I think that I want her to have this baby because for the next nine months it makes her untouchable no where do you saying? think they're where do you think they're taking her I, I, well let me i want to speculate on that before we go but i also want to say that she speaks to mrs waterford when she says like our our prayers have been answered Offred says you think i prayed for this you think i that, want that to was be a, pregnant that's a great that was a great exchange and again she has again she is feeling increasingly confident the fact that she could even say to to mrs waterford like this is not something i prayed for this is not something i even want she's right on the brink of saying your husband rapes me every month you know like she's almost saying that i i thought that was another really interesting scene i know i want her to stay pregnant because it it makes her a superhero. It makes her powerful. And it's like the only power she has in this world is if she's pregnant, those babies are so sacred that no one will touch her. You know, she'll be able to get away with whatever, almost whatever she wants within reason. Yeah. And that's a good point because she'll be untouchable for nine months and then, then she might out. be farmed off to another, she's farmed off to another commander, oh, yeah. but she's still fertile, right? Yeah, she's yeah, still yeah. going to occupy this she, place of well, uh, sanctity. Mrs. Waterford even says that to commander Fred. She says, you know, this is our baby and, and it's our family. And once she has this baby, she, she's out. She's, she'll be out of our lives and out of our house. 
So yeah. hey, let's jump off. Let's jump away from the from Gilead. Let's go to Canada because we we're reunited with Moira, who is being processed as a refugee. And I think this is one of the more subtle and powerful moments in the film in the series where we think of what does it look like for an American to be a refugee? Because if things continue to go the way the way they are with health care, um, you know, tax reform or however you want to call what Trump wants to do with our economy. There are going to be a lot of people looking to leave this country. Well, I, I want to ask you this because that was that was quite confusing to me. Why was Moira so dour uh, as she's being? Processed? I thought that was I thought that was extremely effective because she takes this she has this experience for we don't know how long years maybe of being essentially a sex slave right and, and living and not, in this world not, where she. And let's just say not only a sex slave, but a sex slave to men while she's a lesbian. So, like, you know, like, not not that any type of sex slavery is bad, but there's this extra layer uh, for her that it's like she loves women and she's being forced to have sex repeatedly with men. I mean, just— Well, she's living—and she's also living in this place where she has no rights, she has no freedom, she has no agency, she has nothing of her own— and suddenly, but yet she's also living with this memory of having all of that, of living yeah. in one of the most advanced societies in the world, I mean, in history, yeah. before all of it breaks down. And now she's thrust into the system in Canada where suddenly she has all of that again, like overnight. And just, I think the enormity of the moment uh, was just so overwhelming for her. And I thought she played that quite beautifully. And because suddenly she has money and she has here are all these people who are being extremely nice to her and helping her. And this man, right, who the only interaction she's had with men have been, as we've talked about, rape or, you know, manipulative or exploitative. And here's somebody who's looking out for her best interest. And then also, I think and maybe this is just me reading into it through the moment in which we find ourselves. But it's also like I'm I'm formerly and like I'm an American and this is what I'm experiencing I, it, it, it was just a whiplash to she, she's so jubilant when she reaches Canada and she has escaped Gilead but then she gets there maybe she's maybe she's um, depressed I think she's also exhausted yeah depressed I mean there's a moment of jubilation of joy of being there of crossing that finish line so to speak but she still has to find care she still has to find refuge maybe she realizes she how does, lonely she's, she's going to be or she realizes that this is not um, and that paradise and that, and that her best friend is still living in gilead yeah i think it was fascinating that moira wasn't more elated to be being but but i guess i i uh, let me just say this: There's there's probably a little bit of privilege sneaking in in what I'm saying in in my reaction to it too, because maybe the point is it sucks to be a refugee, like this is this is not great for her. No, you know she's being processed as a refugee. She has no family. And another thing is, I you know it kind of goes with the theme of the show where there's the line about the frog in boiling water, right? Yeah, that we've heard earlier, and yeah. it's how. It's how even the worst situations can begin to feel normal. And, the, you know, as I was watching it, I thought about that line. And it's kind of more is kind of the other side of that, where how strange, like the familiarity of freedom becomes to her and how quickly. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. That maybe it's also part of like, just what is this, you know? So maybe, yes, it's that ref- being a refugee sucks. She's being processed. She's being, she's kind of being herded through the system. Right? right. Right. But she's on the other side of that kind of dividing that divider in that, in that room is freedom. Right. And it's all strange to her. Yeah, it was an interesting thing. I'm, I was glad to see Moira and Luke. There, there was some real emotion there when Moira and Luke see each other in that hallway. And Moira finally kind of comes, you know, kind of comes unglued. I mean, starts really breaks down in tears in Luke's arms. And, you know, they've had a good relationship, but one that was not without, you know, conflict because they way back... They argued a little bit when Luke was like, I'll take care of my woman, you know, and that really upset Moira. And so anyways, it, to your question here as we wrap up, I mean. No, actually, I have, I have oh. I hold that thought. I have one more question for you, and sure. then I want you to end on your, on your question. There's a line that Alfred says at the end, there's a kind of hope in futility. I wonder if that resonated with you in any way, and I wonder if there is – if we're seeing some of that in the world around us now. I would say this, if there's hope in that futility, it's in the sense of I've got nothing left to lose. I've got nothing to lose. What have I got to lose? You know what I'm saying? She gets in that van, and this ties into the, the, the closing. She gets into the van at the end. We don't know where she's going. Is she going off to be punished for not stoning for, for not stoning another handmaid? Is she going off to be protected because Nick has set something up? To is she say, going to solitary? Because Nick th- does tell her, just go with just it. Just go. This is, you know, is, has Nick set this up with the other eyes that he's trying to protect his own baby or w- who he suspects is his own baby? Or is somebody on to Fred because he tried to speak mercy about the guy who had his hand cut off in the in the Council of Commanders earlier in the episode. We don't know, but we know Moira is going, not only is she, she's not reluctantly, they're not dragging her out, but she kind of gives like a nod to, to the commander and Mrs. Waterford. Like I got like, you got nothing on me now. I'm, I'm in control of my own destiny because she says, was I, she says, I didn't know if I, I don't know if I'm going off to my end or to a new beginning, but in either case, it's kind of like it's not any worse than this shit. So, yeah. like, yeah. she's hit I, rock bottom. What have I got to lose? I, I thought it was really a great way to end the season. I, I, I was, I was really impressed. Okay, what was your wrap up question? Well, it was this: like, what is she off to do? And you know, where where are they taking her? And I think she's going somewhere. To be protected, and I think maybe Nick might be behind it. I do. That's interesting. It was funny how I was watch- we were watching the finale, and I was thinking the whole time, man, our predictions for what happens in this final episode were way off. Yeah, because we were thinking there was going to be some like kind of profound moment with the with the kind of the underground movement, the resistance, and you know we knew that there was going to obviously be this huge cliffhanger, but. Um, her going away pregnant wasn't something that first jumped out to us. Where do you think the second season opens? I don't know. I, here's what I want. Here's what I want in the second season. I want Aunt Lydia's backstory. Desperately want that. And I want somehow for Mrs. Waterford and Alfred to become allies because they're both women of strength. And 
I don't know that Mrs. Waterford is totally committed to the ideology anymore now that she sees the dark underbelly of like her husband can basically steal her clothes and dress up his mistress and take her out and rape her. I just think I want to go to the colonies. I think there's fascinating intersections. Yeah, the colonies interest me a lot. Too. I think I care more about those than you do. Yeah, no, I think because I, I feel I like, like if I, if I was around in that world, that's probably where I would be. I'd like dead. to pull back. I'd like to pull back, and I'd like to see Commander Fred on, on like on an airplane going to meet with some other foreign trade diplomats in another country and see how the other countries are doing. That kind I like of, that. To broaden the lens of the show, I think, would be fascinating. But you also wonder if, you know, that does change the dynamic because currently we're kind of experiencing the show in this, um, as we've said before, it's, it's in a very claustrophobic way, just like Offred. So she doesn't know what's going on in the colonies, and neither do we. And that would change the dynamic of the show if suddenly yeah. we had a much wider sure. view of the world than she does. All right. So, Tony, are we going to watch another show or are we taking a break? Let's take a little summer hiatus. You got some travel. My kids are off school. And maybe we'll jump back on once or twice in the next couple months for you know shows and movies that catch our attention. Yeah, there's, there's, maybe we can do a recap when we come back because there are a few series. House of Cards, Orange is the New Black, and American Gods. And Kimmy Schmidt. These are all shows that I plan to binge at different points during the summer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tony, also another show that we need to talk about maybe when we come back is for a recap, maybe not necessarily an episode by episode thing is Preacher. Preacher. Yeah. You might have to tell me about that one. I don't know if I'm going to watch season two on that. You know, what would be cool is if we go uh, we go our separate ways, watch a couple of different shows and come back and contrast and compare. Let's do it. All right, thanks, everybody. everybody. Hey, thanks a million for listening to Killer Serials, and uh, we'll take a little summer hiatus. But you know, just stay subscribed in iTunes or uh, wherever else you get your podcasts, and check us out on Pop Theology too. We'll be posting about TV throughout the summer. You got it. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you soon. I was asleep before. That's how we let it happen. When they slaughtered Congress, we didn't wake up. When they blamed terrorists and suspended the Constitution. We didn't wake up then either. Now I'm awake. My name is Alfred. I had another name. Ladies, I have to let you go. It's the law now. They needed to do it this way. All the bank accounts and the jobs all at the same time. You imagine the airports otherwise? Run, run, run! You girls will serve the leaders and their barren wives. You will bear children for them. There's an eye in your house. We'll send you to the colonies. You'll be cleaning up toxic waste and then you'll die. Tonight is a celebration of Gilead and of what we have achieved. We only wanted to make the world better. Better. Better never means better for everyone. I want to keep on living for her. Remember your scripture. Blessed are the meek. And blessed are those who suffer for the cause of righteousness. Righteousness.